Thank you for tuning in. We trust that you will be blessed and refreshed as you hear this message. A very good morning, Adonai. And for those watching from other parts of the world, greetings to you from Adonai, Bangalore. It's such a pleasure again to come into your homes, to share the word and to see what the Lord has in store for each one of us. And this morning, I would like to begin with a joke. It's relevant to the message, but just to say this joke, a story is told about Adam and Eve. You know, one day, Adam went for a walk. He went for a long walk. He was enjoying the nature so much, he just got lost in the walk, and he continued to walk and walk. It was pretty late, and he was getting concerned and worried and also suspicious. Adam returned home after a very long time. It was quite late in the evening and he was so tired, he straight away went, went back to sleep. He went into sleep and he slept so tight in the middle of the night, he was woken up by Eve counting something on his ribs. And then Adam woke up and said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm counting the ribs to see if one more is missing. She got suspicious, wondering if God created another Eve. And Adam's reply is amusing. He said, you're the only woman in all the world. And literally, she was the only woman in all the world. And when it comes to love and being loved, we always get this doubt and question, isn't it? You may have related with one person for a very long time. Maybe it's your husband, it's your wife, or even children growing up. Very often wonder, do my parents love me? Does my husband love me? Does my wife love me? You know, very often this doubt comes and we, we want to see those expressions of love that comes to us. Rupa and me, Many years back, I must say decades back now, when we were preparing ourselves for marriage, we read this book called Preparing for Marriage, in which one of the chapters is dedicated to tests of love. How do you know someone loves you, or how do you know you love another person? And as we look at the book of Malachi, chapter 1 today, We'll be doing this in some parts. I'm going to be looking at chapter 1 today. As we look at this chapter, the question that we can ask ourselves is, we say we love God, but how do you say we love God? What are some expressions of ours that can say we really love God? Where God affirms his love for us very often, how do we express our love for God? And that's a question that we can ask ourselves. So I have titled today's message as giving God your best. Giving God your best. Before we jump into the theme, I'd like to give some background about the book of Malachi so that we get a picture of where we stand and where does Malachi fit in the whole picture of the minor prophets. Malachi is the last of the minor prophets. In fact, he's the last of the Old Testament books. He comes in almost about 100 years after Zechariah's time. 100 years almost, about 90 years after the temple was already built. 
And then about 15 years after Nehemiah's time, you remember the story how Nehemiah came and he built the wall around the temple. When you see the picture on the screen, you see when the temple was completed and after that, God continued to raise different men of God. He brought in Ezra who brought the revival. You read about that in the book of Ezra and you also read in the book of Nehemiah about Ezra. Then you have Nehemiah who was brought. He not only built the temple, sorry, the walls, he also was instrumental in bringing spiritual renewal among the people. But 15 years thereon, people have forgotten during Malachi's time, they moved away from God again. This is where Malachi comes. Now, during the time of Malachi, people not only sinned against God, they were in intentional in sinning against God. That means they knew what was wrong. They knew what was right. But still they chose and justified why they were doing was wrong was why they were doing. There was no, no reasoning. But God begins to reason with them. And after the book of Malachi, there is 400 years of silence until we hear the voice of John the Baptist who comes and then revives the whole nation of Israel once again, preparing the way for Messiah. 400 years of silence means people did not hear the voice of God. There is no record of anybody putting together saying, this is what the Lord spoke. So it's 400. So Malachi is a significant book. It's almost like the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it gets interesting as we go along to see how it has so much of a preparation for what is to come in the New Testament. Let's jump into Malachi chapter 1 and verse 1. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 1 reads this, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now, that's all the introduction is. We do not know anything more than his name about Malachi. We don't know who his parents were. We don't know where he came from. All we know is he was Malachi. And his name, literally the word meaning is messenger. Malachi means messenger, one who brought the message of God to the people. Verse 2 begins very interestingly. It says, but verse 2 says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, and yet I have loved you. Now, the whole book is a dialogue. It's a dialogue between God's people, Israel, and God. You will find very often God saying something, and then the people responding, and God repeating, saying, I say this, but you say this. So it's a dialogue that is recorded. And God begins the whole book by laying the foundation of everything that he does. This book contains a lot of rebuking, reprimanding. There's correction. There is, there is so much that change that God is expecting from the people. He's disciplining them. But as he's doing that, he's laying the foundation first. He's laying the foundation saying, I have loved you. Because people have even begun to question the love of God. Maybe because of the circumstances. And God brings that assurance to them to say, you say how I have loved you. 
I could have loved Esau, but I loved Jacob. In fact, he goes on to say he hated Esau. You know, when some parents ask us a question, how do we discipline our children or how do we correct them? My simple question back to them is, first answer to me, how are you expressing your love to your children? Because without establishing the foundation of children feeling loved, if we only bring in discipline and correction, that can be counterproductive. Children can become more rebellious. So God as a parent, God as a father is doing the same. Even before he can bring the discipline, even before he can bring the reproof and reprimand and, and you know, the rebuke, he is establishing the fact that he loves them. God loves them. And that's exactly what he's saying. And as a result of that love, he's doing something. My friends, if you ask your so it's a question, God loved us, but how do we know God loved us? You know, I asked you a question. You say you love God, but how do you know you love God? What are some expressions by which you can say you love God? We read this in John chapter 16, a very familiar verse to more of many of us. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now come back to this. For God so loved so that he gave. His love was expressed in his giving. His love was expressed in what he gave the best that he had, and that's his son, Jesus Christ. His love was expressed. I know there are many expressions of God's love for us. There are many, many expressions, but the prime expression we see is that he gave his only son. When God loves, he gives, and he gives the best for us. So the question that we ought to ask ourselves is this how is our giving in fact I titled this message as I told you giving God your best I did not put it as giving God our best very purposefully because sometimes when you use the plural ours we tend to generalize it and take it for someone else and not for ourselves so in this message I'm going to stick to you and yours and you so that you can take this message very personally. Are you giving God your best? God gave you his best. That is the son Jesus Christ. Are you giving God your best is the question. You know, he establishes his love in chapter 1 and verse 2 that we saw. And then he goes on in chapter 4 verse 2 when we read in Malachi. It says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, referring to Jesus Christ. Though it is spelt as S-U-N, it is son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So God is saying, I have loved you and I'm going to send my son of righteousness through him you will have redemption so there is a loving and there is a giving that goes together for God and God in the chapter that we are going to be looking at is expecting the same you say you love me but the question is how is your giving how is your giving is your giving in alignment with what 
God expects not just give for the sake of it, not just give it to show it off to the others, not give to appease God, but giving from a heart that says, Lord, I love you, so I bring my best for you. The people during the time of Malachi, the nation of Israel failed to do that. And God had to address that. How did God address that? He says in verse 6. Now just to let you know, in the whole book of Zechariah, God addresses himself as the Lord of hosts. That means he's the Lord Almighty. That's what you will read in the English translation, which means he's the Lord of the armies. He's a powerful king. He's the one who rules and reigns. But here he begins to compare himself to a father, to a governor, to a king, to a master. And he begins verse 6 with this. He says, a son honors his father and a servant honors his master. If then I am a father... Where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised you? Verse 7, by offering. Priests ask a question and God is answering this question. By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have you polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. And then he goes on in verse 8. When you offer, when you offered blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. My friends, people had lost that first love for God during the time of Malachi. And that was reflected in the way they gave. Their sacrifices that they gave reflected very clearly that there was a rottenness inside of them. The spiritual level had got rotten so much that they were bringing the lame animals, the blind animals, the, the sick animals to the table to offer sacrifices where they knew very clearly from the book of the law of Moses that they're not supposed to bring those. They were supposed to bring animals without a blemish, animals that are whole, animals that are the best in the farm that they have. And they had failed to do this because they said to themselves, you know, it doesn't really matter. All that's important is we go to the temple. All that's important is we offer something. But they were not giving their best to the Lord. My friends, I want to ask you a question. How is your giving to the Lord? Is it your best that you're bringing to God? Are you bringing the lame and the sick and the blind to God in your own areas of life? Now, I'm not talking just about financial giving. Yes, of course, we will talk about financial giving in this message, but I'm talking beyond that. How is your talent giving? Are you using all the talents God has blessed you with in the world and forgotten to use it for the kingdom? How about your time? Are you so busy with so many things that you've forgotten the time for God and the things of God? And of course, the treasure, which refers to your finances, to say, how are you giving? How about your worship? 
Are you giving your best in worship towards God? Are you giving your best? You know, we can, we can get so used to the songs often. We can forget that we are here to worship God. It's not about singing. It's not about the music. It's not about, it's not about the worship leader going on telling you, lift your hands, lift your hands, lift your hands. It's about you saying, preparing yourselves and saying, Lord, here I am. I come to give my best worship to you. Now ask yourself this question. Just before this message was a worship time, did you give your best during your worship time? Especially when you're at home, when you're seated on your sofas, or maybe some of you are lying down on your bed and watching this. Is that the best that we can bring to God in worship? Will God, God is saying, go talk to your governor lying down on your bed. Will he honor you? But whereas for God, we take it for granted. And we do things that don't please God. Worship was so bad during Malachi's time that in verse 10, God says this. Oh, that there were among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand, says the Lord. My friends, this is such a strong verse. It should cut through our heart and I pray the Holy Spirit will cut through our heart as, I'm, as you're listening to this message. God is saying, your offerings are so lame. You're bringing the blind and the sick and the lame. You're not bringing the best for me. You're treating me worse than the governors. You're treating me worse than a father would be treated. You're treating me worse than a master would be treated. And he is saying, oh, that there would be someone among you who would go and shut the doors so that there is no vain worship. There is no worship in vain there. I wonder, when God sees us worshiping, what is his response? Would he say it's like a sweet-smelling fragrance? Or would he say, oh, that someone would go shut that man, shut that woman, shut that boy, shut that girl, so that they would stop worshiping me, not giving their best to me? My friends, it's a question that I cannot answer for you. You know your heart before God and the Holy Spirit will bring that conviction in your heart. Ask yourself, are you giving your best in your worship? Are you giving your best in your worship? Today in the morning, did you give your best? On a daily basis when you worship God, do you give your best? Giving worship to God is the only thing that brings pleasure to the heart of God. And I, I, God forbid that there is any of us in our midst in Adonai that God has today say, Whoa, shut that man's mouth so that I don't have to hear that worship that comes not from the heart. I pray that each of us, when we come to worship, my friends, that we will be able to give our best to God. You know, the Jews treated Sabbath, which is the day of worship unto God and rest, so precious that they would begin the Sabbath on Friday evening because they had to prepare themselves for the worship. 
I wonder how many of us have a habit of praying for yourself on Saturday evening saying, Lord, I want to prepare myself as I come together in corporate worship tomorrow. I want to give my best to you. I want to bring glory to you. I want to bring honor to you. I want to sing with all my heart. I want to sing with all my strength. I want to, Lord, focus on you. Preparing your heart for that Sunday morning. Many of us are so casual in our coming to Sunday morning. We don't, even, we don't even prepare our minds or hearts or anything to come and listen to the word or to worship. My friends, let's not take it lightly what God is speaking to us today. Ask yourself this question. How is my worship toward God? Is it my best? Am I giving God my best? How about our finances? How's your finances giving? How are you giving your best to God in your finances? Now when I say you, I'm, I'm, I'm including myself in that. I just want using you to make it very personal for you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not doing it out of arrogance. I'm doing it saying, Lord, let it speak to each one of us. How is your giving to the Lord financially? I'm not talking about tithe. Tithe is what already belongs to God, the Bible says. That's not your giving. I'm talking about more than the tithe. What is your giving? We'll deal with about tithe in chapter 3. When we come to that, where we look at some financial aspects on how we wisely manage our finances. But then, I'm asking you a question. Beyond the tithe, how is your giving? For many of us, God chose us and he blessed us financially so that we can become channels of his blessing. But very unfortunate that most of us turn out to becoming dams, keeping the blessing, saving the blessing, storing the blessing for that one auspicious day when we think we want to spend in the future. God has chosen us to be channels. God has not chosen us to be dams. So that the blessing of God will flow into me and out of me to others in every area of my life. And that includes our finances. How is our giving? Malachi's charge against God's people is this. He says, you're giving me your leftovers. You're giving, you're using up the best for everything else and you're giving me your leftovers. Now God is not a God who accepts the leftovers. If you're one of those who's been giving, put your hand in the pocket. Whatever change comes into your hand, you're giving as an offering. You're giving your leftovers. You're not planning what you want to give to the Lord. Question is, how's your giving? I have a friend who's reached quite a bit of success in the corporate ladder. He's in one of those CXO positions and he, he, he's been in the CXO position for a while, so earning is not a problem. He shared a story with me one day, not about anyone else, but about himself. He one day called his auditor and asked him a question. How much is the tax that I pay? The auditor replied to him and said, so-and-so percentage is the tax you pay. Then he asked the auditor, what is the percentage of my giving? And the auditor said, 
I think it's around 10% that is your giving. It stuck him so hard, my friend began to think for a while and say, when I was earning little as a clerk in a bank, I was giving 10% and I was also taxed 10% because my income was lower. As my income went up, my tax percentage went up to 20% and 30% and higher, but my giving has stagnated at 10%. Immediately he told the auditor, listen, you equate my giving to the same percentage as my tax percentage. Amen. I hope some of us are inspired by that. To say if you're paying 30% tax, that you would also give 30%. If you're paying 20% tax, that you will also give 20%. What is important is, he's not just giving for the sake of it, he is sowing it into the kingdom. As our blessings increase, as financial blessing increase, often I find people raising the standard of our living. But the question is not to raise the standard of our living, but how is the standard of our giving? We raise the standard of living and forget to raise the standard of our giving that we continue to enjoy the blessing like a dam and we forgot, forget to give to God what he has given to us to be a channel and to pass it through us. I want to share this story just to encourage you again not to boast. Rupa and me, in the first year of our marriage when we sat and we were putting down how our life is going to be. I was a blue collar job, just promoted to a white collar job. My salary was not much at that time. Rupa was also earning but not much put together. It was a hand to mouth situation. But deep within our hearts, we had a strong impression that God is going to bless us one day financially. At that moment, we both made a commitment to God saying, and to each other saying, as the blessings come in our lives, as finances increase in our lives, we will not raise the standard of our living, but instead we will raise the standard of our giving. My desire is this, and Rupert agrees, and her desire too, we both agree. We want to come to a place of reverse tithing. What is reverse tithing? Reverse tithing is you keep the 10% and you give the 90% away. The 10% itself, God's blessing is so much that the 10% can take, not, take care of not only my needs, but I still can bless others through that 10%. And God is able to do that, my friend. We've been increasing our giving year after year to move towards that reverse tithing. We are far from it still, but our desire and our heart cry is, Lord, a day should come when we can give away the 90% and keep the 10%. When it comes to giving, we have double standards. When it comes to spending, I must say, and giving. When it comes to spending, to buy one phone, we, we, we don't even give a second thought. We spend 60000 70000 20000 on a phone. You go out on a dinner with a friend. You know how it is in our Indian society. I will pay and I will pay. We fight for paying. And you land up paying a couple of thousands very easily when two families go out for dinner. Not even a second thought. But on a Sunday morning, when the same amount is asked for you to contribute, you're thinking of all reasons why you cannot give that. Why is that? 
because we've set our heart in the wrong place about giving. My friends, ask yourself a question. If you are open enough to go take somebody for a dinner to the best restaurants in Bangalore or good restaurants in Bangalore, can you divert the same money towards giving? I'll come to that on how we give. What about our time? Are we giving our best time to God? Are we giving our best time of the day to God? Or is it the waning hours of the night? You spent all your energy all through the day and you're very tired at the end of the day and you go to bed and that's the time you want to pray. And as you're praying, very often you go to sleep. And you encourage yourself saying, God will speak to me in dreams and visions. My friend, you can encourage yourself falsely that way, but God is not pleased with that. God is asking you a question. How is, how is your time, the time that you give to God? Are you giving the best time for your devotion time with him? Are you setting apart the energetic time for your devotion to hear God? Are you setting apart time for a spare time that you have, leftover time that you have? I ask people one simple question when I meet, how is your quiet time? And very often, sadly, the answer is I don't have time. Not even leftover, we don't have time to give to God. My friends, it doesn't matter what position you are in. You may be low in the rung in your office. You may be a middle management. You may be a top management. You may be a businessman. You may be a worker. You may be a housewife. You may be a grandmother. You may be a retired person. You may be the busiest person on the earth. God is asking you this question. Are you willing to give your best to God in terms of your time? How is your giving of your time to God? Very often when it comes to our giving, we tend to have good intentions and we judge ourselves by those intentions. Yes, I want to pray. Yes, I want to give. Yes, I want to give financially. Yes, I want to give my time to God. But we don't land up doing it. God knows that. That's why in verse 14, he says this, cursed be the cheat. If you are having right intention and you're not doing the right thing, this is what God is saying. You're a cheat. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and wows it. That means he's saying, oh yeah, I have a male in my flock. I'm going to give this male to God for sacrifice. And yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. The intention is right, I vow right, I think right, I want to feel right, but my doing does not match my intention. And God is saying, curse be you cheat, because you're only having good intentions. I meet many people who keep telling me, yes, I want to pray. Yes, I want to study the Bible. Yes, I want to share the gospel. Yes, I want to give to the kingdom of God the money that is there. But in reality... They continue to live in the intention and not in obedience to the word of God. If you want to know whether you're living by intention or by your obedience, look at your account books. 
Look at your checkbook. Go to your bank, log in online and download your statement and check for yourself whether you're giving your best financially to God. Look at your calendar and check for yourself. Are you giving your best in time for God? Look at your calendar and say, where am I spending my time? Am I giving my talent which is the best to God? Ask yourself this question, my friends. How is our love for God? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We claim to love God. We raise our hands and worship God saying, I love you, Lord, with all my heart. But if it does not translate itself into giving ourselves to God, giving ourselves to his purposes, giving our finances and time and talent, what is questionable is our love for God. Do we really love God? Ask yourself this question. Every time you sing that song, you need to remind yourself the measure of your giving shows forth the measure of love that we have for God. He has given us Jesus Christ all that he can. And he's expecting us to give him the best. As a far as you would respect your father, as you would fear your master, as you would go to your governor, the people in control or people in authority, would you do that to me? Is asking, God is asking. You know, when it comes to giving, my friends, it's not just about love. It also is to do with our faith. You know, Bible says that Abraham was willing to give up his son, Isaac, the only son whom he loved very much. He was willing to offer. And as a result, the Bible says it was accounted to him faith. Because he had trust in God that God is able to give him another son, he was willing to sacrifice his son. That's the faith because he knew all that he has is from God. The son that he had was from God. He was willing to give him up. And God accounted for him that to be a faith. Just take this 500 rupees that I have. This is mine. And I give it to you. And I say this is mine. Please keep this for a while. And after some time when I come and ask you, can you give 200 rupees out of that 500 rupees to me? Ideally speaking, logically speaking, reasoning well, you will say, anyway, this money belongs to him, I can give 200 rupees out of this. But you know what happens with us Christians? We say this 500, actually, I earned it, it belongs to me. I will not give to God anything. We keep it to ourselves in our pockets, in our accounts, in our investments, and we want to leave it there. There's nothing wrong in doing those things of investment and spending. When we do chapter 3, I will deal with that. But what's important is, is your faith stating, saying, this money that I have, everything that I have belongs to God. And when there's a need in the kingdom of God, I'm willing to give it away. The Bible in the New Testament has stories of people who gave and we will come to that. And I'm glad this as this morning, as many of you are listening, there are many good, excellent givers in the congregation. Thank God for it. I don't I wouldn't have journeyed 30 years plus and be here if not for you. Praise God for you. But we are talking about those who are struggling in the area of giving. If you are struggling in the area of giving, my friends, this message is for you so that you begin to learn to give, not just the lame and the blind and the sick, 
time and treasure and talent, but you will learn to give your best to God. Some wrong reasons to give. Number one, don't give to please people. Some people like to give to please people. Put the offering give to please people. Give to the poor to please people. Please don't do that. Second, don't give to please God. God is not pleased with our giving, but God expects us to give. We can't make God love us more just because we give. We give because we love God and the sign of our love for God is our giving. He's already pleased with us in Jesus Christ. Don't give for the sake of it. Oh, offering bag has come. I have to put some money into it. Oh, they made an announcement for FMC building. I have to give some money to it. Don't give for the sake of it. Give it because your heart is calling you to give. Don't give just because you want to compare yourself with another. To say, oh, he's giving 10,000, I want to give 11,000. He is giving 1 lakh, I want to give 1.5 lakh. Not to compare yourself because God does not compare all of us. He says, how's your heart with the blessing I have blessed you? To that proportion are you giving is the question. Now, you may be asking yourself a question, Phillips, we understood, but tell us when to give and how to give. And we'll look at that. Number one, give regularly. Don't make giving as a one-off thing. That only when the pastor makes an announcement that you want to give. Only early ones when RSL announcement is there, you want to give. Or living free announcement is there, you want to give. Make giving as a discipline in your life that on a regular basis you're giving out whatever God has given you. If all of us started to give money equivalent to the amount of tax we pay, I'm sure Adonai need not have raised funds for FMC. Pastor Victor would have just walked out and then bought the property. My friends, if we learn to give regularly, that is a blessing for you in the kingdom. Of course, you need to give when there are special needs that are announced. Maybe you come to church and there's a missionary sharing and raising funds. It's a special need that is there. You can then, in addition to your regular giving, you give this money additionally to that. There's an FMC project that is there. In addition to your regular giving, you give this extra money this time. As a one-time, as a some, for something of a need that comes in the kingdom. John announces about living free projects that are there often. You can give as a one time to that. There is special needs giving and there's also regular giving. And I want to encourage on how to give. We need to learn to give sacrificially. Now I learned this young as a student when I was part of a student committee where all of us who had meager pocket money, we needed to give to the kingdom in order to keep the ministry going and also to express our love for God. We, would, we, would, we were taught to sacrifice and give. There were times when we as friends would have decided, let's go out for a dinner. And we will say, hey, listen, I won't join for that dinner and that dinner money I would give into the kingdom. 
I was in training in Maiko. If I took the bus from Ardugodi, it'll cost some amount. I even forget how much. But when I walked up to Wilson Garden and took a bus, it would cost me 30% lesser. Every day, I would walk up to Wilson Garden on a daily basis to save that money and then put it into the kingdom. My friends, our giving is no giving until it costs us something. Let's see the example of David. David in Samuel chapter 24 was reprimanded by the prophet for the sin he committed. He was so convicted, he wanted to make up and go and offer sacrifice to God. So he goes to this place which is owned by a guy called Arona. Arona. And then he tells him, listen, I want to offer sacrifices to God, so I want a piece of land here, and I want the oxen, and I want the fire. Arona knows this is the king asking, so he says, take everything, my king, take the oxen, take everything that you need, even the land, it's free. You take it and offer your sacrifices. David is not pleased with this. Though David could have considered that as his right to get it from Arona, David is not pleased. He says something in verse 24 which has stayed in my mind for as long as I can remember. 2 Samuel chapter 24 verse 24 says this. No, David says this. No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David was very clear. I will not give to God what costs me nothing. He wanted to feel the pinch of being able to give. My friends, learn to give sacrificially, whether you're a student, whether you're starting your career, whether you are already earning a lot, whether you're not earning, just getting pocket money, learn to give to the kingdom of God sacrificially. Sacrificially. We've taught our children that there are some birthdays we don't celebrate together with friends, but we will give that money to an orphanage so that we can sacrifice the pleasure of having the friends together and be able to give the money. So that we learn early on how do we give to the kingdom of God. You know, it may be a small amount. I remember the bus fare, you know, it used to be so meager. The savings used to be like 50 paise per day. And 25 days of working, we would collect that money and come and give it into the thing. Maybe we'd skip a tea and we would give. Ed Wood, who's a minister and Baptist, he says this, a religion that costs nothing is worth nothing, for it brings no lasting satisfaction to us. A religion that costs nothing is worth nothing. I want to encourage us to give sacrificially, to give regularly, to give when the need arises. You know, in the early church, there was a need that was there because the church suddenly grew to 3,000 and 5,000 and 6,000. People didn't know how to manage. There was a person, Barnabas, who sold the property that he had and came and laid that money at the feet of the disciples. And the Bible says they all shared together and they had everything in common. I can't remember the last time a Christian sold his property and gave money to the church. I can't remember the last time when a Christian sold his bike or car and said, I will manage, let this go to the kingdom. We are talking about sacrificial giving, giving to the Lord. 
I'm going to do something. I'm going to cut this apple together with you. This is my apple cutter, and I'm going to cut this apple. And this is exactly what happens very often in our Christian giving, and I want to illustrate this to us. This is a beautiful apple which is cut out like this in many pieces. What happens with us as Christians? We take a piece of this. Just imagine this is your finances. We take a piece of this and say, this is needed for my EMI. We take another piece, this is needed for my provisions and for my living. We take another piece and we say, this is needed for buying something else. And this is needed for paying up my bills. And this is needed to, for future of my children. And this is needed for something else you give it. And ultimately what we bring to God is this. And say, here God, all faithfully, sincerely, here it is, please take it. And we still feel proud saying, I am giving because there is still some flesh left in this for God to consume. My friends, God is not asking us to give the leftovers to him. The challenge is God is asking us to give our best to him. Ask yourself this question. Are you giving leftovers to God? Or are you giving the best to God? This is not a question I can answer for you. Anyone else can answer for you. You know it. So you got to answer this for yourself. I do not know what it is. Irony is, many of us think we are good givers. But show me your accounts and I'll tell you whether you are or not. Let's understand this one thing. God's greatness and praise to his name is not dependent on us. It's not dependent on our giving. Bible says God owns a thousand hills, cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. But he asks us to give not because he needs it. He asks us to give so that we learn to express our love for him. We learn to express our trust in him. To say, Lord, all I have is yours, Lord. And here I am bringing this to you. And giving it, laying it at your feet. Some people thought, you know, giving was, everything for God was dependent on us. That's why God says in chapter 1 and verse 11, he says, you don't need to come and offer me worship. Shut those doors. Because in verse 11 it says, from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God is reminding the people, number one, is the Lord of hosts. Number two, if Israel fails to praise God, give the best to God, God is saying, I have the nations around. And I'm the Lord of those nations. And my name will be praised and worshipped in those places. Don't think just because you don't give kingdom of God's work will end or stop. No way. God's kingdom will continue to flourish. Like Jesus said, if these children don't praise, the rocks will cry out. God is able to take care of his kingdom. My only plea and God's plea in the book of Malachi is to say, I have loved you and I have given you my son. You say you love me. Tell me, how is your giving to me? How is your giving to me? God does not miss out when we don't give. 
Rather, we miss out his blessing when we fail to give. I'll repeat that again. God does not miss out when we don't give. Rather, we miss out his blessing when we fail to give. You know the story about Mary from Bethany. She was forgiven by Jesus. And here she went home and she was looking for what can I give my master? What can I give? As she scurried around in her house searching for what she can give, she found this alabaster flask, a jar full of this costly perfume. The Bible says the cost of that was equivalent to the wages of a year, total year put together. That means it's almost like the savings of the whole year. What did she do? She was forgiven so much and she loved Jesus so much. She took that alabaster basket, came and broke it at Jesus' feet and let the aroma spread all through the room. Not because the alabaster jar is anything, but because she said, I am forgiven much and I will give much because I love much. The measure of our love, my friends, is by the measure of our giving. The measure of our love for God, the measure of our trust in God is the measure of our giving. Wherever you are, I want you to stand up. If you are able to, unless you are in a car or in a position where you are not able to as you are watching this, I would like you to stand up and just take a moment to examine your heart. Take a moment to look back on the years of your giving. If God had to ask you that question, do you love me? Show me your giving in worship, in treasure, in talent, and in time. What would your answer be? Have you been giving for the sake of it or are you giving because your heart is in it? My friends, if you've not been disciplined in your giving to God as an expression of your love, if, you, if you've given just to compare yourself with others, or if you've given just because pastor is announcing here, would you repent today and say, Lord, forgive me. If you come to church and you not worship God wholeheartedly, would you say to God, Lord, would you forgive me? I don't want you to shut me out, Lord, as I worship. God shouldn't look for a man to come and shut us out. That our worship will be a sweet-smelling incense in his presence. Would you say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to worship you, giving you the best of all what I have. Would you commit your finances to God and say, Lord, I trust like Abraham did. All I have is yours, Lord. And you ask me for something, I will give it out because it's not mine. It's not mine. And I trust you that you will give me much more. Would you, my friend, think about the past days. How's your time giving to the Lord? Have you been giving your best? Have you been giving your best time to God? I'm guilty sometimes of praying in times when at the end of the day when my energy is lost. 
I seek God and say, God, forgive me. Would you say with me saying, Lord, forgive me, Lord, for not giving my best to you, for just giving you my leftovers, Lord. Forgive me for giving me just the leftovers, Lord. Let the Lord minister to you right now. Let the Holy Spirit come and minister to you right now. Would you repent and say, Lord, as we begin the year now, Lord, we're just here on the 14th day of this January 2021. We want to make this commitment today that we want to give. Tell yourself, I want to give God my best. Can you tell that to God? God, I want to give my best to you. Would you make that commitment? Would you raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to give my best. Would you help me to do that? I want to give my best in everything, Lord. In my worship, in my praise of you, in my money, in my talents, the way I give into the kingdom. I want to seek your kingdom and your righteousness first, Lord. In my time, I want to give to you, Lord. Help me. Help me. Ask the Lord saying, Lord, would you help me to give until I feel the cost of giving, the pinch of giving? Would you help me to give sacrificially? My friends, this message is not just to raise funds for FMC. Please don't get me wrong. Malachi didn't come by chance. It came by God's design. We are not talking about a one-time giving that we are trying to raise funds. We are talking about Adonai becoming a church which has the discipline of giving on a regular basis and the discipline of giving as and when the need arises. Both spectrums together. We want to give. And I can only say one thing as a testimony from my own life. You can never ever, ever outgive God. <laughs> you can never, ever, ever outgive God. I have given and given and given, and the more God gives me, gives me, gives me. Because he gives me more, I give more, he gives me more. You can never be in need because you're given. God's blessing will flow. I don't give to get a blessing. But that's God's design. When you give, you will be blessed. It's a design of God. And I want to challenge you and I want to let you know. Like the psalmist said, I was young, now I'm old, but I've never seen the children of God beg for bread. As you give, I can assure you one thing. You will never beg for bread. Neither your children nor your children's children. Because when we give into the kingdom, it comes back to us with the blessing of God. Shall we pray and commit ourselves to God? Father, we thank you and praise you because you are the example of giving. You gave your only son for us because you loved us. Lord, we love you, but often, Lord, have withheld our giving. 
Help us, Lord, would you, forgiving us, Lord. Forgive us, Father. We repent from that attitude of dependence on money, dependence on possessions, dependence on positions, dependence on people. And we, Lord, want to say, would you, Lord, forgive us and help us that our hands would be open to give, our pockets would be open to give, our wallets would be open to give, our accounts will be open to give, our calendars will be open to give to your kingdom, Father. Help us, Lord, that our giving will be a sign of our loving you, Father, and trusting you. Help us, Lord, that we will not give the lame, the sick, and the blind but we will give our best, Father. Help us, Lord, as Adonai, we will be a church that learns to give our best for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. We thank you, Master. Thank you. You will honor every heart that's made that commitment today, Lord, to learn to give, to come to the discipline of giving. You will honor them, Father, and show them by opening up the windows of heaven and pouring your blessing upon them so that they will know every step of the way. They can never outgive you, Father. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Tune in for a new message next week. To know more, visit us at www.adonichurch.in.